0: history is the only pastor in Jacksonville Florida to have a Mardi Gras anniversary party all right I love it you'll see several ladies wearing their beads out there they got on to me for not wearing mine today Uh, I did forget them Um, they are also distractingly huge if you haven't seen the picture the the beads I got are are massive uh, beads and so we feel incredibly loved Uh, I'm excited the way this timed out. I'd like to claim that I did this strategically, but I didn't. Um, I'm excited the way this timed out today. uh, As as this, you know, last Sunday and this Sunday kind of book in my five-year anniversary here. When I got here, one of the first things I said is, our hope is that one day, not only would God replant and bring this church back to health and vibrancy, but through that, that God would use this church to invest in replanting and revitalizing other churches all across the city and the country. 4,000 to 6,000 churches close their doors every year in the United States. 77% or so of those are in communities densely populated around the same as ours. So we're in, this church is in that like prime statistic of about 77% of churches in densely populated areas that... Of, of that group that end up closing their doors, and we've gotten to see God tell a different story. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah. And so, I obviously I would love to preach on my five year anniversary. But we have had the privilege of partnering with the Jacksonville Baptist Association and First Baptist Middleburg to do our first replanting residency and training with Chris and Sherry Davis. Haven't you guys enjoyed having them with us? They've got about one more month with us in this residency. Um, and we don't, we don't know what's next, right? We don't know where, we don't know what, but we know that God has called them. Um, I, I would just ask, church, would you affirm you've seen the calling of replanting in Chris and Sherry Davis? Would you affirm that? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm excited that we, we have gotten to uh, be a part of that. And so as much as I'd love to preach today, I really can't think of a better way to celebrate and communicate what this thing's been about from the day that I got here. And it's not been about me. It's been about, and not even really been about this church on this corner, right? We said from the beginning, this needed to be about far more than just the corner of San Juan and Lane Avenue. What about the glory of God being reclaimed and proclaimed all across the city? And so I am incredibly excited to have Pastor Chris Davis come and and preach to us today. Welcome him. He'll continue us in the book of Joshua, and you'll see over the next month, there'll kind of be a dovetail as they transition out out of our regular attending family and back into First Baptist Middleburg as they prepare to go to what's next. I would ask you, please commit to keep praying for them and encouraging them and Um, as as they enter that next chapter. So I'd like to pray over Chris uh, before he brings the word today. God, I want to thank you for the call that you have obviously put on Chris and Sherry's life or the passion they have for you and your word and your church. Lord, as you continue to shape them and prepare them for something incredible. And I can't wait until his five-year anniversary one day. And Lord, to celebrate that we got to be a part of that, some small part. Lord, as he brings the word today, I pray that you get rid of any nerves. Lord, that you communicate clearly through him. And Lord, that it be far more than just his preparation, but your Holy Spirit speak through him clearly to our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Jimbo. Um, I'd like
1: to thank him. You guys do not know how lucky you are to have a pastor like Jimbo Stewart. Selflessly gives up his pulpit to people like myself, to Pastor Wesley, to Pastor Joe. Um, you know, it, that's a big sacrifice to give up your pulpit. And so I want to thank him for not only allowing me opportunities to preach and for you guys to critique me, um, but also. Um, for his sacrificial investment that he's made in my lives and the hours that y'all haven't seen, the times we spend in his favorite places, the coffee shops, to discuss ministry, the emails that we send back and forth, the texts we send back and forth. He has been a huge blessing to me and to my family as well. To you, Redemption, thank you for this opportunity. You have been a blessing to us as well. You have loved on Sherry and I, even our children, who you get to see very rarely, one here with us today. Uh, You've treated them as your own, and I am grateful for that. We're going to be in Joshua, as Pastor Jimbo said, chapter 4 today. We're going to continue on in the series. And it's very interesting how the Lord works in the timing of everything, as Pastor Jimbo alluded to already. His fifth year anniversary um, and my opportunity to come and stand before you guys about building memorials. Building memorials is something that has been important in this revitalization work. It's been something that's made me realize there is an importance to the church. Your address is not by accident. All these things that we learn about churches and revitalization, memorials are important. And today we're going to spend some time on that. So as you turn to Joshua 4, 1 through 24, I want to tell you guys about a date. A date in history, September 12, 2017, is a day that most from my small town in Middleburg, Florida, will remember. And many of you here at Redemption may remember it as well. Um, it was a day of great devastation by an uncontrollable storm and flood. You guys probably know exactly what I'm talking about. You see, we have in Middleburg a little small creek. <laughs> yeah, it's not really that small. But Black Creek cuts through Middleburg as it's way, on its way as it winds through Middleburg and through other parts of Clay County as it, to, way, to its way to the St. John's River. And on most days, as you can imagine, Black Creek is a pretty mild, easy creek it's a place where many of us who grew up in middleburg have spent time fishing time skiing time swimming times just hanging out on the black creek just relaxing on the water and if you've been there you know it's by no means a treacherous body of water it's a creek but september 12 2017 hurricane irma paid us a visit and this normally peaceful creek This became that became violent. It became a violent body of water, overflowing her banks and destroying everything in its place. I don't know if you've been there lately or drove around, but the damage was so severe that people today are still rebuilding from it. People are still trying to get relief from the government. We spent weeks and months gutting houses. I I spent time at a girl I went to high school with mom's house. Her dad died. Mom was alone. Her dad built the house with his own wood, with his own hands. I mean, there was no two-by-four. It was whatever he could cut. Hand-built this house. Spent days with young adults ripping her sheetrock out of her house. All the insulation out. As her older son, who was sick, tried to live in it, which we kicked him out because obviously it was not healthy. We spent weeks doing it, months gutting houses, delivering food. And, and, and as I was reminded by Pastor Jimbo, Redemption Church, you had a big part in that as well. You spent your time, you sacrificed your money, your efforts to gut homes of people living in my community. Delivering food, delivering water, and to that I would personally like to say thank you. But in our teaching today, and Joshua is faced with a, a body of water that's not normally violent, not normally treacherous. But at this time of the year, it's very violent. It's, it's unpassable. It is significantly dangerous. And so what I want to do now is turn to Joshua chapter 4, 1 through 24, and I would like you to stand in the honor of reading of God's Word. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people from each tribe a man and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests' feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up the twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel. As Moses had told them, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priest bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the souls of the priest were lifted up on dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, as we come to this point in time of the service where we have read your word, God, we pray now that you will speak to us, that you will speak to what you would have us to know about your word, God, so that we may be able to not only know your word, God, but to be able to carry your word forward. So we pray, God, that we'd be obedient listeners and obedient doers to your work and your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as I was studying this week, I wasn't here with you guys last week because Sherry and I had an opportunity to serve our Dean now students um, at Middleburg. Um, I didn't really get to hear Pastor Jimbo's lesson. I was going to listen to it, but then I thought, no, maybe the Lord didn't want me to listen to it just yet. Maybe he wanted me to prepare a message without any distraction or any any side notes, but I got to chapter 4 and I got to thinking, man, I'm just basically going to go repeat Jimbo's message. Because chapter 4 kind of comes back to a point where they've already crossed over. It seems like it's a little out of place. And I got to studying it, I got to looking at it, and I thought, man, I see what he's doing. The writer here wants us to not miss what really just happened. It wasn't just that The ark stepped in the water, and and the people just went across to dry land, and okay, they're on the other side of the promised land. There were some very significant things that happened during that passing over of the the water, of passing through the Jordan, and I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he brings us back in these 24 verses because they're packed with so much truth. And I want us today to take a look at what are the truths that we can learn today that help us move forward in our Christian life. But number one, here's the first thing we got to understand. That these events... They're impossible without faith. These events are possible without faith. We need to take a back step back and we need to look at Joshua chapter 3. So if you want to turn over there with me, verses 10 through 13. They should be on the screen if you are uh, if you don't have your Bible there. But look what it says. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. This is one of the opportunities where he gets to stand before the people and give them a word from the Lord of what the Lord wants them to know. But what is it that the Lord really wants them to know? Is it that he wants them to know that he's going to take them across this body of water? I think it goes deeper than that. It said he will drive out the seven enemies that occupy the nation currently at the sign. That, and the sign that he will do this is what he's about to do for them. You see, God had a plan to, to rid a nation of seven, a, a piece of property of seven nations, seven enemies of God, and he's going to do this. And his sign that he's going to do this is the splitting of the Jordan River. There's one catch, though. This was important for me. They must take the first step of faith. They must act out in their faith and take their most prized possession and step into the banks of the overflowing, treacherous body of water. So as I told you, Black Creek, not a very violent body of water, very, not very wide through most of it, probably very much like the Jordan River. In normal times, the Jordan River was about 100 feet wide. Not much wider than this building here. But in the flood season, in the time of Irma, this water was over a mile wide. Don't you think about that. He didn't just split 100 feet of water. He split violent, treacherous water that was over a mile wide. And these people had to have faith and take their most prominent, their most powerful, their most important possession and step into it. Listen, we didn't go and rescue people from Irma until after it was over. And here they're going to take their most prized possession, the ark. I want you to see how important this ark was to these people in Exodus 25. This should be on the screen. You can turn there if you want, verses 10 through 22. It says this, They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside shall you overlay it, and you shall make on its molding uh, it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and then put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles and the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work you shall make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end and, a, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces to one another towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. Catch this. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in the commandment of the people of Israel. So I ask you this question. Do you see it? Do you see the most prized possession? Despite the special wood it describes, despite all the gold it describes, all the images that would be put on it, and the fact that the word of the Lord would be put in it, their most prized possession is the Lord. It is through this ark, it is through this symbol that they would carry where the Lord would be with his people and he would meet with them. And now they have to take a step into a body of water to receive that promise. I ask you, would you, would you take that kind of faith if the Lord called you to, to take your most promised possession, the Lord himself, and and put him in a dangerous situation that you may or may not know what's going to happen, that may or may not cost you the loss of your most prized possession, the place where the Lord himself meets with you? Well, we see in Scripture, so when the time came, and I capitalize this in my notes, by faith, the priest stepped foot in the Jordan. It says, the water stopped and on the grounds became dry. And that day, because of their faith, I want you to catch this. A mile-wide river, treacherous, held up. On that day, about a million Jewish people walked over the Jordan River on dry ground. Do you guys remember the day when it made the news that Jacksonville reached a million people? The city of Jacksonville reached a million people? And here we find at one point drawn in, into this story, at a specific pinch point into the river before they cross over, a million people held up by a river and they cross over on dry ground. Without faith and confidence in God's word, these people would have been cut off from God's promises, and I believe most likely forever. But they had faith. Let me tell you, as we move into chapter four here, let me tell you the, the next point I want to make to you. These events were so important that they required. Memorials. Look, chapters 4, verses 1 through 9. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people from each tribe, a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each one of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask you in time to come. What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with him to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they're there to this day. So we all have memorials in our life. Um, We have things that allow us to remember special events. We have things that allow us to remember special times or special people in our lives. And I was thinking back, like, what memorials do we have? What memorials do Sherry and I have? I don't know why the Lord did this, but for some reason, maybe because he had my oldest daughter here, kind of got me thinking about things. I don't want to open it because I don't want to make a mess, and I don't want to lose it because I'd be in serious trouble. But inside this envelope, I don't know if you can kind of see, there's something on this side of the envelope. This is Amber's very first haircut. Very first haircut. All you moms out there probably have a piece of hair somewhere from your children's very first haircut, right? How about this? This one's kind of creepy to me. And when I tell you the story, you'll understand why. This is just three of them, but this is Cameron, our baby daughter's three of her baby teeth. Do any of you moms have your children's baby teeth? That's creepy. I asked her, I said, hey, I need some of the teeth. Today she went in there to get the teeth, and she had, like, bags. Like, they're not all together, Chris. Like, some these are all Camerons, and these are all Ambers. And I said, just give me those three. That's weird enough that I'm going to have teeth in my pocket. (laughs) So despite how weird mm, some things may be that allow us to remember people in our lives and, and moments in our lives, We all have them. We set up memorials at gravesides. As a country, we erect memorials for events in history to remember those who did, to remember events in history and to remember those who did great things. For example, we have a memorial at Pearl Harbor. We have the Lincoln Memorial. And I think probably one of the most recent is the 911 Memorial. You see, memorials are important because they help us remember. And here we see Joshua commanding the 12 leaders from each tribe to carry a stone from the center of the Jordan, where the ark of the Lord stood, and carry them to the place where they would lodge that night. You know, I didn't know it until studying it, and I don't think most of us would see it either unless we really dove into this further and, and, and researched where Gilgal was compared to where they crossed over. I don't know about you guys, but if any of you are in the construction industry and have had to carry heavy materials with you for long periods of time on your shoulder, it gets very burdensome. And it gets very hard, and it's very tiring. And these guys carried these stones eight miles to Gilgal, where they would lay them down to where they were to lodge that night. You see, Gilgog was only about two miles from Jericho. And this place called Gilgal would become a very important place for Joshua and even for future generations as they would even worship at times at this site. Now later you'll find that eventually Gilgal will go away as as its central place of worship. But for a period of time, the people worshiped there. And it's here at Gilgal that Joshua erected these stones in memorial. I also think it's important that we remember that there were 12 stones. You see, these 12 stones represent the whole nation of israel because remember there's two and a half tribes that are what staying back they're staying on the other side of the jordan but god wanted to make sure we understood and that we understood even today that these 12 stones represent the whole nation of israel even those two and a half tribes who would make their homes on the other side of the jordan these 12 stones represented the unity The the wholeness and the obedience of the entire nation of Israel. How do we know? You can see it there when it talks about the 40,000 were ready for war to pass over before battle. Those from those two and a half tribes went with them. It represents this wholeness, the obedience of the entire nation of Israel. But what's the purpose? What's the purpose of the memorials? We talked about the fact that they're to remember things. but, But here God says that these memorials have a specific purpose. Number one. To teach their children of the power, of might, of the love, of the concern. And I think this, most importantly, the covenant commitment of the Lord. To teach your children this. Verses 6 and 7 say that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come. What do those stones mean to you? You shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall... Be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And then later on in 21, he repeats the same thing. He said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Parents. I'm going to speak to the parents for a minute. I'm not going to let everybody off the hook. But parents. It is your responsibility to raise up and teach your children about the love, the sacrifice, the might, the power, and the covenant commitment of the Lord. It's your responsibility. You have a great church, you have a great pastor, you have great leaders, you have great directors of children's ministries, of student ministries, and they will help you. But you need to understand that they're just a tool in your toolbox. Just a tool in your toolbox. You're going to see, let's look at it, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This is a great verse. Most of y'all heard it. Some of y'all probably even know it by heart. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Catch this. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be a frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Listen, Redemption Church, First Baptist Church of Middleburg cannot do these things for you. You, as parents, have to do this. This is called the Shema. The first verse of the Shema is considered the most essential declaration of the Jewish faith. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. But the passage that follows details the particular ways in which that faith should be lived. Love God with all your being. Teach it to your children. Recite it when you wake and lie down. Bind it as a symbol on your body. Did you notice first? You are to love the Lord with all your being. You first. And then teach your children. You Okay, so here you go. All right, Chris, you're... You're reading something that's speaking to Jewish people. It's from an Old Testament. Well, how about turning with me to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. It should be on the screen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, I would include mothers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. How does a, children, a child learn to obey? By example. By teaching. So if parents don't first love the Lord with all they are, then who's going to teach them how to obey? I wrote this. We have the greatest responsibility to lead our family to the Lord. Do not Take this lightly. Parents, here's why I said not everybody's off the hook. Parents, grandparents, foster parents, adoptive parents, you will have the greatest impact outside of the Holy Spirit on your children for the Lord. So reason number one for the memorial, to teach the children, to teach the future generations. The number two reason for these memorials was to be an example for the world. Look at verses 23 through 24. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Here we go. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You see it? That all the peoples of the earth may know. Future generations... Many generations later may know that it was the Lord who did this. The act of separating the water and establishing dry ground is the second time in 40 years this has happened. 40 years. If you remember Exodus 14, the Lord told Moses simply to hold out his staff. Out and the waters would part, and the people escaped Pharaoh on dry ground through the Red Sea. For these people about to cross over this, this is their first time experiencing something like this. But you could bet you can bet that they knew about the Red Sea Crossing. They would have been told. They would have been taught by their parents. They knew about it. So I wrote, It's one thing to make an excuse or easily overlook one miracle, but two in forty years of this magnitude, there can be no other explanation than the hand of the mighty Lord. It's also important to note that not only did the generation know about the Red Sea Crossing, but the nations had heard as well. And now it's about to happen a second time. And it doesn't take long. I I wondered, have wondered for years. How did people operate before cell phones? Before Facebook? Before Instagram? Before Snapchat? But it's no surprise that people quickly, despite all that stuff, they heard quickly what happened. And when the Jordan split, it didn't take long for those nations. From the east all the way to the west to hear that this had happened again. But why is this important? The nation of Israel is to be the people who take the Lord to the lost world. Verse 24, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The memorial was to be a reminder to the world of God's might and power. It was to show that if God could take care of the Jewish people, former slaves and now wanderers, He should be the God all nations want to serve. You would think that those nations that knew they were coming and had heard about what all the Lord had done and the power that He had, keep in mind this was a mile-wide, treacherous body of water that the Lord held back. But we see, and I'm going to get a little ahead, Pastor Jimbo, just one verse. Chapter 5, verse 1, it had the opposite effect on the seven nations in the promised land. It struck fear in those kings and nations. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, it just gives two here, but I just want you to let you understand that that is the far east and the far west and everybody in between. So it caught them all. It, that They had heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And I got to thinking, well, if they were that afraid and God just did this, why didn't they surrender to it? Why did they not to submit to the Lord for what he done? What would have happened if this fear would have turned to repentance and they would have trusted God? We don't know because it didn't happen. But based on many other stories in the Bible, here's what I can believe we learn about God's character. When people in the other stories repented and believed, the Lord relented. The Lord relented. Man, I can only imagine what would happen to this nation of people if they would have just repented. When they saw the power of the Lord and, and just repented and believed in Him, He would have relented. We too today are commanded to go into all the world, just like the Jewish people of that day, and make disciples and to be an example. And, you know, we find that in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I'll read it quick. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I often feel like I use this verse too much. That as as a preacher, as a pastor, maybe as one who doesn't get a lot of preaching time right now, that maybe this is just kind of a go-to verse for me. Maybe I just use it to fill time or to fill pulpit time or, or to make the message a little longer. But then I'm reminded, if we ever forget that the mission that the Lord gave us, we will be no different than any other social group or club out there. Guys, we have an urgent mission to let the world know about Jesus and help them become fully devoted followers of Christ. Or yes, they too will be just like these nations, will be destroyed and be in a place of permanent separation from Christ. It's urgent. It's not, well, I might go tell my neighbor. I might go talk to this person. I had a conversation with a customer this week, and I hate my job. Y'all just need to know, I hate my worldly job i hate it i tell jimbo every day i thought it, did i tell you today and i have a good friend of mine i tell him every day did i tell you i hate my job because i don't feel called to do it but matthew 28 says as you go and i was in saint mary's georgia the other day and the lady said how long have you been doing this i said i've been in this business about 20 years i said but i hate it she said why do you hate it I said, because it's not my calling she said well, what's your calling i said well i'm actually in a residency to become hopefully someday become a, a full-time pastor and I said, but in the meantime, Matthew 28 came up. As I go, I've got to tell people about Jesus. The woman began to cry and said, why do you think you need to be behind a pulpit? Now, this is somebody who knows I'm going to have to be bivocational for probably a period of time and has been praying that the Lord will eventually move me out of bivocational time. And I still feel that way because I still feel called to do this. But I'm just telling you, she, she, when tears in her eyes, she said, you have touched me. By the end of the conversation, she said to me, I'm going to break something just so you'll come back. Guys, we have an urgent mission to let the world know. What you don't know is I had talked a few months earlier back with one of her employees whose daughter had died. Look, we can have church anywhere we go. We just got to be obedient to go just like they had faith to step the ark, their most prominent, their most prideful, their most important possession into that body of water. We too have to tackle a vicious world. But he's going to be with us. But there was one other memorial mentioned, and this one was erected by Joshua in the middle of the Jordan where the ark stood. And so we might ask ourselves, why would Joshua erect a memorial here that would most likely not be seen when the waters return? You've got to catch this, because I thought the same thing. But here it is. It's a picture for us. It was a reminder to them that their old life was gone and buried, and they were to walk in newness of life. There was no going back. Does That sounds familiar to us as New Testament believers, as Christians in today's world. What is the picture we see here? This is the picture we see every time a person gets baptized. It's why those waters right there are important, because the old is gone, and we're to come out and live in the newness of life that Christ gives us. But it was also a reminder that God himself is holy and the only one who deserves our full allegiance and worship. Remember, it was the presence of the ark where the Lord was that caused the waters to stop. Not a person with a staff this time. Catch that. It was not a person who told to hold a staff out over a body of water until it separated. It was the Lord's presence himself in the body of the water with them that caused it to stop. So what do we learn from memorials? Do you have memorials in your life? Both Personally, maybe even here at this church, some of you have been here a long time, and I've been enjoyed, I mean, one of the things I've enjoyed the most about being here is sitting down with a lot of you senior adults and hearing the stories of Hyde Park Baptist Church, of hearing how this road right out here was dirt all the way to the bridge. That just, it's always been asphalt. Y'all tell tell me it was dirt at some point, but it's always been asphalt, right? I, I, I love it. But we all have memorials, but here's where they are good, if they turn our hearts to God. Memorials are good if they turn our hearts to God. They're also good that they keep us serving now and in the future. Your memorial should propel you to move forward in your faith, propel you to do more for the gospel. But memorials can be bad if they become an idol. I had a conversation with Jimbo, and I've had a conversation with Miss Marilyn one time about this pulpit. I'm not a pulpit guy, I'll tell you. I'm I'm five foot six. This thing's five foot. (laughs) It's huge to me. Jimbo is a big guy. You know, it doesn't dwarf him. It dwarfs me. But I was raised in a culture, too, though, in business, through business school and through my career and through a man named Pat Kelly who started a very large business here who's now dead. But uh, he had us go and, and have a meeting one time to discuss um, leadership. And listen, my dad taught me this too. When I'd go to his office, he'd have the same setup. Every CEO, big time manager's office I ever went into had a sitting area away from the desk. And anytime the good leaders wanted to have a conversation with those people, they came out here. And they sat among them. And so um, for me, I feel more comfortable right here because I feel like we connect. I'm not some holier than thou person standing behind a desk and I know that's not what pulpits represent but for me it, it's 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 a challenge. It's just something that that I've got to get over and so but here's the problem. What would happen tomorrow? Don't do it because of me. Jimbo likes the pulpit. So I'm not What if this can't What if you can't move it? Is it an idol? Has it become an idol? What is it that may have become an idol? Don't get caught up on the memorials that they become idols. Here's the other thing. Get this part. That they, They're bad if they get you stuck in the past and you don't serve now. Listen to it worded this way. Glorifying the past is a good way to petrify the present and rob the church of power. That's a good word. Glorifying the past is a good way to petrify the present and rob the church of power memorials should be reminders to the next generation of what God has done in history, but they must strengthen their faith and draw them closer to the Lord. Listen to it this way, and I think this is on the screen. God's act of salvation on his people's behalf must be perpetuated in the memory of the coming generation. Guys, it's important. It is important that when we build memorials, we build them with the idea that it propels you to serve and propels you to pass it on to the memories of the coming generations, because guess what? Someday I'm not going to be here, someday you're not going to be here, but the gospel is going to be carried forward. And we have a responsibility to make sure that happens. One last interesting note before we wrap this up. These memorials were built as soon as they entered the promised Land. Did you catch that? They hadn't even fought the first battle. You see it. Joshua erects a memorial before they even have their first battle. How how good would this memorial have been if they had failed in their upcoming battles? How good would that memorial have been? I mean, think about it. They go out, they build this real cool memorial, and, we're gonna, and God's telling them this is where you're going to teach your children. These are going to be the, the nations are going to know the Lord because of this memorial. They hadn't even fought the first battle. They go into Jericho and they get whoosh, wiped out. How good a memorial is that? They built this thing before they even fought their first battle. That's why most of us build them or erect them in our lives after these events have occurred. But this generation, and I'll challenge you, our generation, this generation has complete confidence that they will take the land the Lord had promised them. And we too should have the same confidence in our daily walk with Christ. So I'm going to close with this. These events are important for us today. Point number three. They're important for us today I'm going to give you nine reasons. The last one will be on the screen. If you're interested in these and you want to write them down later, I'll leave my iPad up here. You can come write them down. But here's number one reason that these are important for us today is we all have a Jordan moment. Our first Jordan moment is when we accept Christ. It's when we cross from death to life. Other Jordan moments in our lives help us build our confidence and they help us build our Trust in Christ. And this is what we call building our testimony. We all have them. Number two, we all have a choice to make. Just like the people did, we have a choice to make. To either either respond in faith or to respond in disbelief. But we have a choice to make. Number three, if we choose faith, catch this, we must first get our feet wet you got to get your feet wet. The Lord stands every day all over this world, not just on Sunday mornings during the decision time, calling people into salvation, but just like the people going to cross over the Jordan, they had to step feet first in the water before the Lord moved. I'm telling you, the Lord calls people, and because they won't get their feet wet, they miss out on the blessings. we got to choose faith, but we must first get our feet wet. Number four. We must pass on our faith to our loved ones. This is something that has bothered me in revitalization and replant. It's something that's called me to this long before Pastor Jimbo and I had even spoke, before I even knew that revitalization and replanting was a real thing. I had no clue. My master's degree is in church planting and evangelism, not in revitalization work. But I'm amazed that when I talk to people who are in dying churches in small cities and small towns, and when I ask them this question, what ha- are you sharing this with your children? Do you share this with your grandchildren? It shocks me to hear their answers. I don't see my grandchildren. I don't talk with my grandchildren. I don't talk with my children. I don't, we don't go to the same churches. We don't have the same ideas. We must pass on our faith to our loved ones. Number five, we must bury the old life and live in the newness of life. you got to bury it. Number six, we must submit to the Lord's leadership in our life. How does it work? Through the power of the Holy Spirit first, through the reading of God's word, through prayer, and through your local pastors. Pastor Jimbo is one of your leaders. We must submit to those areas. Number seven, we must carry out the Great Commission. Number eight, As the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence with His holy people, we must remember and rely on the Holy Spirit in our lives and us. They had an Ark. Guys, I'm going to tell you, though. We have the Holy Spirit. And it's not a -a once-a-year deal where we go behind a curtain or a veil for one person to go see what the Lord has to say. We have the promise of the Holy Spirit who lives in us daily. 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 And number nine, this one's on the screen, and I think probably the most important point that you need to take away from this about building memorials and stuff is that we have a promised land and it awaits us. And we must live in such a way as to attain it. So the band's going to come. And I want to challenge you today. What is your Jordan River? You can come, Wesley. We're going to enter into a decision time. The pastors will be up front here to receive you, to pray with you, to answer any questions. The altars will be open. Maybe you just need to come to the altar yourself, kneel, and pray about a situation in your life. Guys, we all have Jordan moments. And in a church with this number of people, there's probably somebody here who needs to get their feet wet. There's probably somebody here who needs to say, you know what? I've approached this problem. I've approached this issue. I've approached this problem. And what is this problem? It's the idea of the identification that you are a broken person. And that sin has separated you from eternity with your loving Father. Maybe you need to come today and speak to a pastor about that. Let them guide you in that walk. Let them help you see the truth of what you need to do. But probably more More realistically is that all of us have other Jordans in our lives. We have other trials. We have other issues. We have other things going on. We have other problems that are causing us to be distracted. That have created, allowed fear to creep into our lives. That have prevented us from doing what God's called us to do. Maybe you just need to come. I had this conversation in youth today because I stepped in there. Maybe you need to come. Repent. Remember and ask the Lord to forgive you so that you can then walk in the newness of life that he's given you. So that you can move forward in the Holy Spirit in your life and to do what he's called you to do. To experience the peace that only he gives. I don't understand how that works. I don't understand how when we can be so broken yet can come and can repent and can, and can raise our heads after that with smiles on our faces and feel renewed. But it works. So I'm going to pray. Whatever your decision is today, the altars will be open. We encourage you to come. God, we just thank you for today. We thank you, God, for dying on the cross for us, for coming as a baby, for living a sinless life, for your death, your burial, your resurrection. God, we thank you for your Old Testament and how it paints the picture of us of the truth of your word that since the very beginning of time, your whole purpose has to been to redeem your people. And we see it here in Joshua 4. That we have memorials, God, that propel us to move forward into your redemption and into your hands. So, God, I pray for those that are here that have Jordan Rivers in their life. God, that they will come, that they will cast their cares before you, God. You sit at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, God. And we don't understand how all that works, God, but you do. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can arise. For those that don't know you, God, may their feet get wet today. And may they come to know you and experience you in the fullness of who you are. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen.